0: This is Ian Hartley.
1: I'm Warren Kay. And I am Sasha Steenbergen.
0: Welcome to the Rediscovering God podcast.
1: We invite you to join us as we endeavor to see him more clearly,
2: love him more dearly, and follow him more nearly. Just want to welcome everyone as we continue on our journey to rediscover the God that Jesus knew. And as we continue in Genesis chapter 19, the story where Sodom and Gomorrah are destroyed, we we touched last time on this whole idea that, um, you know, how do we reconcile this story with our picture of God as being a nonviolent God, if in fact he sends the fire and brimstone to destroy the city, even though he rescues Lot and his family, but the rest of the people are God's children and they are uh, destroyed. And so we want to look today at this whole idea of the causation of evil and violence in the Old Testament as we try to understand this story. So Ian, lead us into an understanding of that, would you?
0: Um, yeah, it, you know, this is a huge paradigm shift for um, most people, most Christians, even non-Christians, um, because we're so um, um, confirmed in this tradition that God is all-powerful and he solves the sin problem by using his power.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, and so causation is very important. Uh, in the Old Testament, some New Testament stories. So, for instance, in the Who or What Destroyed Sodom? So, at the end of chapter 18, uh, Abraham and the Lord are having this bargaining session. And then it ends up by the Lord saying, Look, if I find 10 righteous people in Sodom, I will not destroy it. So that's pretty clear that God is going to destroy it. Um, I don't know what the rest of you take from that sort of statement.
2: That's the logical Um, conclusion to Bra, for sure. Mm
0: -hmm. So in 1914, Genesis 1914, Sasha, if you could read that, please.
1: So Lot rushed out to tell his daughter's fiancés, quick, get out of the city. The Lord is about to destroy it. But the young men thought he was only joking.
0: Yeah, so, so Lot thinks uh, the Lord is going to destroy the city, mm-hmm. and then if you will read nineteen twenty-one, all right. The angel said, "I will grant your request.
2: I will not destroy the little village, but hurry, escape it,
0: escape it, escape to it.
2: For I can do nothing until you arrive there."
0: So here yeah, the angel is taking responsibility for destroying another city, not Sodom, mm-hmm. um, but uh, Zoa. And then, uh, Sasha, if you can read 24 to 25.
1: Then the Lord rained down fire and burning sulfur from the sky on Sodom and Gomorrah. He utterly destroyed them along with the other cities and villages of the plain, wiping out all the people and every bit of vegetation.
0: So, we've, we've looked at all these passages in, well, some of them in chapters 18 and 19 of Genesis, um, which, which really focus the uh, causation of this catastrophe uh, that destroyed Sodom, Sodom on God. Uh, and that, that should be enough uh, to convince us. The problem is that there are many other passages in the Old Testament which deal directly with the causation of uh, tragedies, catastrophes like this. So we're going to read some of these and then see if we can draw a conclusion from it. So we're going to start with Deuteronomy 29, verse 21 to 23. Um, This is Moses at the end of his life. Uh, This is his summation uh, before he dies. Deuteronomy twenty nine, twenty one to twenty three. The Lord will never
2: pardon such people. Instead his anger and jealousy will burn against them. All the curses written in this book will come down on them, and the Lord will erase their names from under heaven. The Lord will separate them from all the tribes of Israel, to pour out on them all the curses of the covenant of the covenant recorded in this book of instruction. Sorry, 21 to where?
0: Uh, 23.
2: Then the generations to come, both your own descendants and the foreigners who come from distant lands, will see the devastation of the land and the diseases the Lord inflicts on it. They will exclaim, the whole land is devastated by sulfur and salt. It is a wasteland with nothing planted and nothing growing, not even a blade of grass. It is like the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. At Adam and Azoboyam, which the Lord destroyed by His intense anger.
0: Thank you. So confirmation that the Lord uh, destroyed these cities uh, in His intense anger. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, Sasha, if you'll go to chapter thirty-two of Deuteronomy and read thirty-nine to forty-three. Deuteronomy 32, 39 to 43.
1: Look now, I myself am he. There is no other God but me. I am the one who kills and gives life. I am the one who wounds and heals. No one can be rescued from my powerful hand. Now I raise my hand to heaven and declare, as surely as I live, when I sharpen my flashing sword and begin to carry out justice, I will take revenge on my enemies And repay those who reject me. I will make my arrows drunk with blood. And my sword will devour flesh. The blood of the slaughtered. And the captives. And the heads of the enemy leaders. Rejoice with him you heavens. And let all of God's angels worship him. Rejoice with his people you Gentiles. And let all the angels be strengthened in him. For he will avenge the blood of his children. He will take revenge against his enemies. He will repay those who hate him and cleanse his people's land.
0: Thank you. So um, we're painting a picture here. Um, This is a a vengeful God, and he has no problem using violence um, to pay back uh, the enemies of his people. I want to take you to Leviticus 26, These are the blessings and the curses that were rehearsed once a year when Israel um, convocated on Mount uh, Gerizim and Ebal, and they would echo uh, these blessings and curses from these different hills uh, once a year. So here's one section of the curses, 27 to 35.
2: Okay. Okay leviticus 26:27 to 35 if in spite of all this you still refuse to listen and still remain hostile toward me then i will give full vent to my hostility i myself will punish you seven times over for your sins then you will eat the flesh of your own sons and daughters i will destroy your pagan shrines and knock down your places of worship I will leave your lifeless corpses piled on top of your lifeless idols, and I will despise you. I will make your cities desolate and destroy your places of pagan worship. I will take no pleasure in your offerings that should be a pleasing aroma to me. Yes, I myself will devastate your land, and your enemies will come to occupy it and then and the enemies who come to occupy it will be appalled at what they see I will scatter you among the nations and bring out my sword against you your land will become desolate and your cities will lie in ruins then at last the land will enjoy its neglected Sabbath years as it lies desolate while you are in exile in the land of your enemies then the land will finally rest and enjoy the Sabbath's it missed as long as the land lies in ruins it will enjoy the rest you never allowed it to take every seventh year while you lived in it.
0: Go ahead, Sasha.
1: No, I just, that's heavy. Those two passages that we just read, like it just sits very heavy in my body. And it sort of really reminds me of, like, you know, before you've dealt with your uh, childhood wounding and your trauma how you, you know, lash out on other people in this tirade, you know, it just sounds like that whoever, you know, the person that's being either yelled at or spoken to in this way, I just feel like what would be left of them, you know, like I just feel like so much guilt and shame would just be sitting there. Uh, it's it's hard to hear.
0: Yeah. Um, but that's because you aren't a real person living a few thousand years ago with all the cruelty and mayhem going on around you, which would have hardened your heart. So um, I want you to read Isaiah 45, verse 7. Um, you see, we can't avoid these passages. We can't just read the happy passages. We've got to deal with this head on. Isaiah 45, verse 7.
1: I create the light and make the darkness. I send good times and bad times. I, the Lord, am the one who does these things.
0: So the Israelites' God um, was the source of good and the source of evil. There's no question about it. And uh, the reason they were so adamant about this was they were monotheists, and they didn't want to entertain any other supernatural being. Uh, to to rival God. And so they vested all supernatural power, good or bad, in God. Um, So David, for instance, um, he writes in the Psalms um, horrible passages. Take, for instance, Psalm 58, 6 to 11. Break off their fangs, O God.
2: Smash the jaws of these lions, O Lord. May they disappear like water into thirsty ground, make their weapons useless in their hands. May they be like snails that dissolve into slime, like a stillborn child who will never see the sun. God will sweep them away, both young and old, faster than a pot heats over burning thorns. The godly will rejoice when they see injustice avenged. They will wash their feet in the blood of the wicked. Then at last everyone will say, There truly is a reward for those who live for God. Surely there is a God who judges justly
0: there on earth. So justice for them is uh, horrible punishments for their enemies, including washing their feet in the enemy's blood, sort Mm -hmm. of a holy bloody communion. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I, I saved the best for last for Sasha. With your tender heart, Psalm 137, verse
1: 9. Happy is the one who takes your babies and smashes them against the rocks. So oh, I that. I just, I'm
2: amazed at how uh, we create God in our own image. David was a warrior, and so he sees God as a warrior. And that's how he depicts him in, in these passages and, and others, that God is a warrior that conquers the way that he as a warrior would conquer. And uh, and that's the way that God is portrayed. And I think the question is, is God really that way, or is that just his portrayal of God?
0: Yeah. And uh, uh, Moses, who grew up in the courts of Pharaoh, sees God as an uber, a super Pharaoh, Mm -hmm. whose word must be obeyed or... You execute it, um, so you, you make a good point. Um, and you know, it, it is remarkable that among creation accounts, uh, the Genesis account of a non-violent uh, creation is almost unique in the stories of creation. And yet, and yet the Hebrews missed it. They they uh, they quickly turned God into a violent supernatural being. Now, but, but you've got problems. Sorry, go ahead.
2: Well, I'm just say, just thinking. Thank goodness that Jesus came to clarify this picture of God that has been portrayed throughout the Old Testament.
0: Yes, and we, we had to come to His witness. But I just want to show you a few problems mm. uh, with postulating that God is a violent, vindictive, supernatural being. For instance, 1 Samuel 16, 14, and 23. And show you the problem here. 1 Samuel 16, 14, and 23.
2: Now the spirit of the Lord had left Saul, and the Lord sent a tormenting spirit that filled him with depression and fear. 14 and...
0: Twenty three.
2: Twenty three. And whenever the tormenting spirit from God troubled Saul, David would play the harp. Then Saul would feel better and the tormenting spirit would go away.
0: Now, your translation uses tormenting spirit, Mm -hmm. which is a, a little kinder than an evil spirit, which other translations use. So now you've got God sending a tormenting or an evil spirit Um, that will eventuate in Saul taking his own life. Right. So uh, the Hebrew writer who writes Samuel has no problem writing it like this because he believes or she believes that good and evil come from the Lord. So they see this man who's been ordained by God, anointed by God, and now he's got fits of depression. And their, their reasoning runs like this. Look, God chose this man to be king. No one can give this man depression if God chose him to be king. It must be God who's mm-hmm. doing it. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. Now, here's another story similar to this. Exodus 4, 24 to 26. Exodus 4, 24 to 26.
1: On the way to Egypt at a place where Moses and his family had stopped for the night, the Lord confronted him and was about to kill him. But Moses' wife, Sephora, took a flint knife and circumcised her son. She touched his feet with the foreskin and said, Now you are the bridegroom of blood to me. When she said a bridegroom of blood, she was referring to the circumcision. After that, the Lord left him alone.
0: Isn't this an uh, interesting story? God speaks to him out of the burning bush and says, I want you to go down and release my people. And then on the way, God tries to kill him. Now, again, uh, a Hebrew writer has no problem writing the story like that because he knows that good and evil come from God. But I don't think you're comfortable with that story, explaining it that way. So we can tell there's a backstory here because... As soon as Zipporah hears that Moses' life's in danger, she knows exactly what to do. So she and Moses had differed about the circumcision of their boy. When this happens, she circumcises the child, and this puts them back under God's protection as opposed to God punishing them.
1: Well, I'm still uncomfortable with that, but it's closer. <laughs>
0: Okay, so uh, I want to show you now a passage in the New Testament which has the same problem, and this is the problem of translator bias, and it's found in Matthew 10, 28. And we need to read two or three different translations on this. Matthew 10, verse 28.
2: Okay, I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. Okay. Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell.
0: Your translation has added the word God. It yeah. is not in Greek. Sasha, can you read the King James Version?
1: Okay. I was just at the um, Message uh, Bible one. I was just curious. Was it 1028?
0: Yeah. Yes, read the message.
1: Okay. Don't be bluffed into silence by the threats of bullies. There is nothing they can do to your soul, your core being. Save your fear for God, who holds your entire life, body and soul, in his hands.
0: Yeah. So, actually, you siding with God is going to... God can kill your soul. You just... Doesn't make it as clear as the other translations do.
1: Yeah, I I don't actually have the King James, sorry.
0: Oh, okay. Warren, do you have access to King James?
2: I do. I do. So in the King James it says, and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell.
0: And is the hymn, does it have a capital H? It does, capital H. So this is indicating that this pronoun is referring to God, mm-hmm. but it is more accurate in that it doesn't actually use uh, the noun for God, but a pronoun.
2: So in the E S E yeah E S V translation, it's not capitalized. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell.
0: Yes. Um, so now I want to talk about that. Um, you see, if you have a look at John 1, verse 17. Sasha, if you could read that, John 1, 17, please.
1: For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ.
0: Okay, uh, this is one verse that's not often focused on. The law came through Moses, But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, the next verse, verse 18, uh, says something that's very important. Sasha?
1: No one has ever seen God, but the unique one, who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us.
0: So, no one else has ever seen God. All other prophets are giving you hearsay. They heard it in a vision. They saw it in a vision. Um, But Jesus, he's not a visionary in that sense. He's actually the only eyewitness we have of God. Mm -hmm. If if you go to court and a witness gives, uh, gives hearsay, the judge throws it out of court. It's only if you actually saw it with your own eyes and heard it with your own ears, that it's legitimate evidence. I think it's fair to say that the evidence of Jesus trumps all other evidence in the Bible. Mm -hmm. And he is the primary word of God. And the Old and the New Testament, as they witness to Jesus, become the secondary word of God. So now I want to look at some of the things that Jesus said. Um, Matthew 17 1 to
1: 5
0: six days later Jesus took Peter and the two brothers
2: James and John and led them up a high mountain to be alone as the men watched Jesus appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the Sun and his clothes became white as light suddenly Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus Peter exclaimed Lord it's wonderful for us to be here and if you want, I'll make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But even as he spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved son, who brings me great joy. Listen to him. The disciples Thank were you. terrified and fell face down on the ground.
0: So, Peter... Um... <clears throat> He sees Moses, Elijah, and Jesus as equivalent witnesses. And he's thinking, we have the greatest uh, deliverer, lawgiver. We have the greatest uh, uh, reformer in Elijah. And now we've got the greatest miracle worker. Hey, man, nothing can stop this Tria. We got it. Start running, Romans.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And the voice out of heaven stops him in his tracks and says, no, uh, this isn't a trio. This is a mono event. You must listen to Jesus. Moses had his day, died, had his day. Now it's Jesus' day. And mm-hmm. he is my dearly loved son. This is an astonishing event to position above any other prophet, any other writing uh, in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament.
2: Yeah, and and that's done by God himself.
0: Yes. Uh, We're in the book of John. Let's look at a few more places. Uh, 10 verse 10.
1: The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life.
0: That's the most amazing summary of the great controversy. Let's look at uh, four, chapter 14 of John, verse 4 to 11. And you know the way to where I am going.
2: No, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. And if you had really known me, you would have known my father, who my father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the father and we will be satisfied. Jesus replied, Have I been with you all this time, Philip? And yet you still don't know who I am. Anyone who has seen me has seen the father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me. Sorry, let me read that again. The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do.
0: So our our Jewish friends did not expect a divine Messiah. They expected a human Messiah like Solomon was who enlarged the borders of Israel. So Jesus keeps talking like this. He's saying, actually, I and the Father are one. He lives in me. I live in him. What he's trying to do Uh, which we miss because we accept the divinity of Jesus, is he's trying to convince his Jewish Hebrew friends that he is actually divine. Mm -hmm. That's why he talks like this. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: people who don't understand this, they try and make Jesus um, less than the Father. They try and establish a hierarchy. What Jesus is doing is he's trying to establish in his hearer's minds, that he is divine. Mm -hmm. And that came with great difficulty. So here's the summary statement in the New Testament. It's in Hebrews 1, verse 1 to 3.
1: Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his Son. God promised everything to the Son as an inheritance, and through the Son, He created the universe. The Son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God, and He sustains everything by the mighty power of His command. When He had cleansed us from our sins, He sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven.
0: So, if you look at these characteristics of Jesus, Um, there's no other prophet that can claim this, that he made the universe, that he sustains the universe, that he sits at the right hand of God, that God said to the angels, this is my son, who is the exact representation of uh, God's being. Um, It's just impossible to find another prophet who can match uh, the uh, amazing... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Ascendancy of Jesus. Mm-hmm. I mean, let me ask you, do you have another candidate mm-hmm. that can match Jesus? No. Yeah. Not can Moses those. say all those things about himself? Can mm-hmm. Elijah say all those things? Can Isaiah say all those things? No. It's preposterous. Mm-hmm. And, and so what we're trying to do here. Is to the primacy of Jesus as uh, the revelation of what God is like. He is the only eyewitness of God, and so you have to take an eyewitness account from Jesus by the other prophets.
2: Yeah, and and it, it, I'm just so grateful that Jesus comes to make some very important clarifications, because we've got, at this point, we've got a God that um, that brings evil, that destroys Sodom and Gomorrah, that dashes babies against the rocks, like this is, uh, yeah,
0: it's time for a correction. We could go on for a very long time with corrections, but let's take three statements in the New Testament, two of them by Jesus, Matthew 5, uh, 38 to 39. Matthew five thirty-eight to 39. You have heard
2: the law that says the punishment must match the injury, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also.
0: So when Jesus says you have heard it said or you heard the law, he's quoting Moses, the great lawgiver mm-hmm. for Israel. And he's saying, "You Moses said this, but I say this." Mm-hmm. Now imagine somebody getting up and doing that. You know, the Bible says this, but I say this, <laughs> and it contradicts the Bible. How yeah. far is he? Going?
2: Not going to go very far.
0: Uh, well, you can argue that Jesus didn't either. You know. <laughs> Uh, people were really mad with him for uh, contradicting their scriptures, uh, and he has saved the best for last. Matthew five, forty three to forty seven.
1: You have heard the law that says, "Love your enemy and hate love your neighbor and hate your enemy." But I say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as two children, as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for you? Even the corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. Thank you. Mm
0: So I want to uh, make a parallel passage to this. It's Luke chapter 13, verse 1 to 5. Luke 13, 1 to 5.
2: And about this time, Jesus was informed that Pilate had murdered some people from Galilee as they were offering sacrifices at the temple. Was that Luke 13?
0: Yes. Okay. Are you reading the right passage?
2: Okay. Okay. Do you think these those Galileans were worse sinners than all the people from Galilee? Jesus asked. Is that why they suffered? Not at all. And you will perish too unless you repent of your sins and turn to God. And what about the 18 people who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them? Were they the worst sinners in Jerusalem? No. And I tell you again that unless you repent, you will perish too.
0: So uh, the Jews had this understanding that if you suffered, it was because you had sinned. Mm -hmm. They had no concept of this um, uh, prevailing chaos on the planet, is that not everybody who dies uh, is being punished for something they did in their lives? Mm -hmm. Um, It's not karma. the, the man born blind, the disciples asked Jesus, who sinned this man or his parents? They're saying he's blind, so there must be sin that caused this. And in, in Luke 13, Jesus is saying there's chaos on this planet. It's not God punishing people when something bad happens. It, you just find this on the planet. Mm-hmm. Um And when a child is born uh, challenged, that's not God's punishment to the parents. Um, It's just part of the chaos on this planet that will only be dealt with at the second coming physically.
2: So can we then um, look back at Sodom and Gomorrah and say Jesus would have said, You know, there's just chaos that happens. You think that the people that were destroyed in Saragmora were more sinful than others? Uh, But it's not so.
0: Jesus would say no. Uh, He would say, do you think the people who were obliterated in Pompeii by Vesuvius were worse sinners than the rest of the world? Jesus says no. Mm -hmm. Uh, Earthquakes happen. There was an earthquake in China few hundred years ago, that killed 850,000 people.
2: Mm.
0: That's almost a million people. We had that tsunami in Indonesia that killed a million people. Were they worse sinners than everybody else on the planet? Jesus says no. Mm -hmm.
1: So in the Lot story then, I'm thinking, so was it just that you know, Lot and his family, like, were they the only people who were aware of God's voice, in a sense, and that were receptive to being saved out of that city?
0: I I would say yes to that, uh, because of the the response um, uh, that night, when uh, Lot spoke to the men clamoring at his door. Uh, um, yeah, they're not willing to listen to the voice of reason. They're not willing. they know these these men are strangers. And they know Lot is a stranger. Um, and they're not willing to listen.
1: So then it almost helps to know that every man in the city came out to know that everybody had a chance to be saved in a sense. Everybody was close to the people <laughs> who were trying to bring salvation to this city. And they mm-hmm. they, they had hard hearts. They didn't see, they they didn't understand that this was actually uh, a savior in a sense for them. And so in a sense, that's almost then comforting to know that everybody had a chance yeah. um, to come out
0: and and the best uh, supporting evidence for what you're saying is that fiancés of the daughters who lot went and said get out this place is going to be destroyed and they laughed at him
1: yeah mm-hmm. yeah right yeah,
0: yeah you make a good point okay one more uh, scripture 1 john 1 verse 5 first letter john wrote we're not talking about the gospel. We're talking about his first letter, 1 John 1, verse 5.
1: This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you, God is light and there is no darkness in him at all.
0: Yeah. This is a very dogmatic statement. Mm-hmm. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. This is revolutionary mm-hmm. compared to the Old Testament. Mm-hmm.
2: And I I think we need to just reaffirm that the light is referring to righteousness and darkness is referring to evil. They're
0: just code names. Mm
2: -hmm. Yes.
0: Yeah. You make a good point. Mm -hmm. Uh, And when in John chapter one, it says, uh, in Jesus is light, uh, sorry, life. And that life is the light of the world. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has never overcome it.
2: So this um, well, I guess what we've what we've laid out here is um, the tools to to use to understand these stories in the Old Testament that are written from a perspective that those people had. They saw God doing those things, but Jesus is saying, uh, just a minute that that's not the case. There's something else happening here, and we need to keep that in mind before we have this picture of God that is loving, but every once in a while he has to be just and will rain down fire and brimstone on people and destroy them. So uh, the
0: the adjustment of our picture of God is huge, and it's contingent on accepting uh, the witness of Jesus as more powerful than the witness of the other prophets. Yes, right. If you're going to put the witness of all the prophets uh, on the same plane as Jesus, you have mass confusion about the picture of God.
1: So that's where that Mount of Transfiguration becomes this pivotal moment between Old Testament and New Testament, uh, old understanding and new new understanding. And how hard that must have been to make that shift, that grinding shift to seeing that. Yeah, wow. I just saw that in a in a more straightforward way. Mm-hmm. And I think
2: it's significant that it, it it is the voice of God that makes that distinction. It's right. not someone else with lesser authority. There's no yeah. one with greater authority than the voice of God.
0: Yeah, I mean, the three of us saying it doesn't give it credibility
2: mm-hmm.
0: but it gives credibility to this picture of god is what jesus taught us
2: in order to just you know the people that say well but we just need to read the bible the way it reads and believe it for what it says to do that you have to turn a blind eye turn your back on what jesus is teaching and and yes i'm not willing to to do that it, it, it it's easier in some ways, because this creates all kinds of questions and all kinds of uh, uneasiness, like how, how can I understand what the Bible says if it can't be understood what it says? But Jesus is coming to bring this great clarification that if we don't have it, then we just are at a loss to know what God is really like.
0: And the personal benefit of this picture of God is that you become like the God you worship. Yeah. By beholding, we are changed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you have a vindictive, destroying God, then you are justified in being having righteous indignation and doing righteous acts of violence to other people. So this is where the rubber meets the road. And it's not just a philosophical point of view that we're talking about. Um, no. We're actually talking about uh, what sort of person you're going to become as a worshiper of God. Wow, this is
2: powerful. Yeah, uh,
0: uh, And let me just say this. uh, You know, we've looked at mainly male witness. uh, (laughs) But when you come to Hannah, Hannah said the Lord prevented her from becoming pregnant. Uh, Naomi, when she comes back to Israel from Moab, uh, and they say um, to her, uh, no, Naomi, welcome back. She says, no, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, bitterness, mm, yeah. because the Lord took away my husband and took away my two sons. He has yeah. dealt very harshly with me. And and we can say um, on the authority of Jesus that the Lord never took away any person. Mm-hmm. Yes, there is a thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy God's people. He is the one who takes them away. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's time to give God good press. Yeah. <laughs> Put it very grassly.
1: Well, and something that just comes out um, in as you talk about this suddenly makes me think a hopeful thought. You know, like when I grew up, it was always, you know, that Christians are on this road to becoming perfect. That was sort of this idea of where you had to sort of trajectory get so that, you know, when Jesus comes, you'd be ready uh, so that there would be no sin in you so that you could stand in the light of God. But I was just thinking that this road, this journey, this understanding, this idea of becoming perfect Framed in this picture of growing up in our understanding of who God is, always brings us closer to love, always brings us closer to gentleness. And so, this idea of growing up as a Christian gets me so excited because, you know, as I was journeying and trying to figure out how to parent my children, you know, I remember calling pastors and saying, you know, what is the godly way to discipline your children? You know, reading the text of, you know, don't spare the rod and all these things, right? And just really wanting to do what was right. Um, and realizing that as I grew as a parent, I realized that that's not actually what it, what it meant. You know, that it didn't mean hitting your children. It meant guiding them and supporting them. Um, and so growing as a parent in love, is now also this experience of growing as a Christian in understanding God. Um, It's like he's growing us to healing. He's growing us to gentleness and love. And that I can't, I can't imagine anything more exciting in a gentle way to growing up as a Christian, that it just brings us closer to this feeling of safety um, in that, that God is somebody that, I could feel safe with and that I could rest my heart in his hands and know that he would be who he says he is. You know, always, always the light that there is no darkness in him. So that that's beautiful.
0: (laughs) Thank you. Um, One caveat. Jesus always confronted evil verbally. He did not confront it violently in terms of physical violence but he stood for what was pure and gentle
1: yeah Mm -hmm. and
0: compassion and the glory of god is his mercy and his compassion next week next podcast we'll talk about lot and his daughters horrific story but it's there we need to deal with it Mm -hmm. let's pray together dear god we pray for eyes to see you as you truly are. We pray for ears to hear you speaking to us, so that we may understand you in all your wonder. Thank you for your work, but above all things thank you for Jesus. And we embarrassed the way we treated him when he came. But he never we never could stop him loving us. Our hope is in you. Amen.
2: You can find the recording of our podcast on our website, uh, as well as the PDF document that we've been using, so you can follow along or at least see all the passages. And so that website is rediscoveringgod.ca and on there, there is the, um, the, the PDF document, the uh, link for the podcast, as well as our YouTube link. We are now on YouTube. So if you want to see us live, then you can go and watch it on YouTube.
1: Wonderful, and we'd also love to invite you to our Monday evening Zoom discussion where Ian and Warren lead us out. And um, we are currently going through the podcast uh, where we get to have discussion and really dive in a little deeper and get our, um, our, our most pressing questions answered. Um, It's a really wonderful time of fellowship and connection with the group. Um, We share in community and resources as well. We'd really love to have you join us. We're going to be meeting um, at 6.30 Mountain Standard Time. Uh, You just add in the link 403-506-9201. We'd love to see you. And
2: if you'd like to connect with us, you can reach us at RediscoveringGod2020 at gmail.com send us an email we'd love to hear from you and know how this journey of rediscovering the God that Jesus knew is changing your life.